Well, welcome everybody. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here at Arise Church. We're all about helping people follow Jesus, meaning we want to help you follow Jesus and for you in turn to help others follow Jesus because following Jesus is the path to the fullest life and the only path to eternal life. Um, well, welcome. I'm glad you guys are here. Um, I have a question for you. Um, do you wish you knew how to pray so that your prayers got answered? Does that sound pretty good? Like, how am I supposed to pray so that I know God is going to respond to my prayers? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today, how God responds to prayers. What is the way we pray and how God actually does that? And I think it, it's an uh, interesting thing. Christians all over the place are, like, trying to figure out. I think all people are trying to figure out, like, how is God going to answer my prayers? And if you go to, like, each church or each denomination, they pray a little differently. Like, they might put their hands up like this. They might f fold the fingers in together. You might get on your knees. Some of them are like, no, you got to stand. you got to put your hands in the air. Some of them, you got to hold the beads, say this specific prayer this many times, chant an incantation. It, no matter how many churches or denominations you go to, there's a different way to pray, isn't there? Well, I'm going to tell you that the way to get a prayer answered is not by anything like that. Okay? It has nothing to do with the posture of our hands or our body. It has to do with the posture of our heart. And that's what we're going to see today. It's actually a very simple truth that we're going to learn today from Daniel chapter 9, and it's this, that God responds to repentance. God responds to repentance doesn't necessarily matter what your eyes are doing, open or closed, your hands are folded, or, or how you're sitting or kneeling or standing or dancing or, or whatever. But if we have a repentant heart, God chooses to respond to that. God responds to repentance. So in today's message, the first half of it, we're going to talk about um, what does it actually mean to repent. Okay, Because like, some people are like, am I sorry enough? Like, Do I have to be sorrier? Um, and like we want, so we're going to talk about what, what does it actually mean to repent, and then we're going to talk about how God responds, because in this series, Behind the Scenes, God is really giving us a behind-the-scenes peek, like how do things actually work in the future and in the supernatural, and we're going to see today how God actually responds to prayer, one of the only places in the Bible where it shows us behind the scenes supernaturally what's going on when we pray. So I hope you're ready for that today. Um, God responds to repentance, and this message comes out of Daniel chapter 9. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open to that chapter with me, um, Daniel chapter 9. If you have a smartphone, and you can download the YouVersion Bible app, and in the app um, on the bottom right-hand corner, there's a button for more. You can find our Rice Church Denver event, and save the scripture, save the notes right there on your phone. So God responds to repentance. So I'm going to start reading in Daniel 9, verse 1. It says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, verse 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Okay. Okay. What's going on here? Let's look at the timeline one more time so you guys are kind of refreshed uh, of where we are in history and in the Bible. So where we are is that um, Daniel was part of the people of God, the Israelites, but the Babylonian Empire actually came and attacked them, conquered over Israel, and took the people that were living there as slaves and moved them to Babylon. Daniel was one of those people, probably moved as a teenager. Can you imagine that? As a teenager, forced to leave his land, forced to learn a new language, a new culture in a city far away from home. 
and there Daniel grew up, and that would have been in 605 BC. He would, was a teenager then, and now sometime later, he starts to have this series of visions. So the first half of the book of Daniel is those cool stories. We've, we've heard about Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Benego in the fire, all that good stuff, but now the second half are these visions that he begins to have, and the first one was in 550 BC, the next one in 548 B.C., which we looked at last week. And now in about 539 B.C., Daniel actually has, it's not really a vision. You'll see kind of what happens in this chapter where he begins to pray and we see God's response to his prayer. And this is when the Persian Empire actually came in and took out the Babylonian Empire and took over all the land that they had controlled, set themselves up. So this, is, this had just happened, Darius the Mede, because it's the Medo-Persian Empire has come in. We've seen that that was in fulfillment of prophecies that God had given to Daniel in those first two visions. Like, this is what's going to happen, and boom, it happens. It seems to happen that way all the time with God. He says something, it happens. God's promises are fulfilled. History is his story, as we learned last week. So that's happening again and again and again, and finally, that happens. So Daniel then gets out his Bible which would have been scrolls at those times. So he gets out his scroll, and he's reading through the scroll of the prophet Jeremiah, which, yes, we have that book in our Bible, too. It's called Jeremiah, in case you were confused. So he's opened up to Jeremiah, and he's reading. And for the first time, perhaps, because that's kind of how it's presented here, for the first time, he understands this prophecy that God gave through Jeremiah that Israel would spend a period of 70 years in exile in Babylon. 70 years. And Daniel's like, oh... I wonder if that's what's happening right now, because it's been about 70 years since Babylon has come and took over everything, and he's like, whoa, is that what's going on now with Persia coming in to the empire? Is it the Babylonian reigns over? Is it now time that we get to go home? Daniel, at this point, is probably in his early 80s. He's an old man. He's lived his entire life as a captive in exile in this foreign land, but he's finally thinking, oh my gosh, maybe I get to go home. Maybe my people get to be restored. Maybe Jerusalem, maybe the temple can be rebuilt. Maybe it's finally going to be an answer to what we've been longing for. So what does he do? He begins to pray. I wonder, we're not told exactly which passage of scripture, it could be a couple, but I think what David, or I'm sorry, what Daniel would have read would have come from Daniel chapter 29. So I want you guys to read this. In Daniel, I'm sorry, in Jeremiah chapter 29, where it says this. This is what the word of the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, it's like pretty obvious, right? <laughs> I will come to you and fulfill you, your promise and bring you back to this place. I, I point that out. We're, we read it and we're like, duh, it's obvious, 70 years in Babylon. And yet it seems that this is the first time anybody notices, oh, 70 years. I say this because people read the Bible all the time and they have no idea what it's talking about. Over and over again, they read it, and then all of a sudden, boom, it makes sense. Maybe you've had this experience in your own life. You've read something over and over again, and you read it one time, and you're like, oh. Makes sense for the first time. You might have grown up going to church, heard people preach. You read it, and it doesn't make any sense. You might have a PhD in Bible, and you still don't get it. This happens all the time, but sometimes it just clicks. And it just clicks for Daniel right here. 70 years. And I want to keep reading in this passage because, because God is giving this promise and, and, and it comes right after that. So in verse 10, he says 70 years and then you'll get to come back. Look at verse 11. I think and some of you know this one. Some might be some of your life, life verses, right? Might have this tattooed on your foot. 
in a discreet little place that you could hide if you ever need to, right? Okay, Jeremiah 29, 11. This is like one, everybody's favorite verse, but it comes right after that promise. 70 bad years, and then, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And in verse 14, he says, and bring you back from captivity. Why am I pointing that out? Because God gave this amazing promise that a lot of us claim. I want prosper. I want, I want to prosper. I want to succeed and all that stuff. God has that plan for my future. But for Jeremiah, for Daniel, for the people of God, they went through 70 years of trial before God prospered them. God does have good plans for our future. He will make things right, but we might have to go through some crap first. Right? I got an amen from that one, right? We might. You might even be 70 years of it. God has plans for our good, but he takes us sometimes on a route we wouldn't choose. So that's important to know. But he does promise there. He's like, if you pray then, I will answer you. I'll respond to your prayer. So, so how is Daniel then going to pray? I think he takes this and he's like, whoa, I better pray. That's what it says in that passage. So I better do it. And in verse 3, we begin to see how Daniel prays in a way that God responds to him. Verse 3. So I turned, Daniel said, to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. He changes his normal clothes and he puts on sackcloth and rubs ashes. This is not, he's not wearing sackcloth because it's like the newest trend. Okay? He's not like following someone on Instagram like, I better get on my sackcloth. Okay? Sackcloth, you don't wear because you want to. It is not comfortable. Okay, you guys are buying like me undies because you want everything to be comfortable, right? He's putting on sackcloth to be uncomfortable because it reminds him as it scratches against his skin that he needs to pray. Again and again, reminded to pray, to pray. It's the same reason he probably fasted. Fasting is a time where you go without something. For him, going without food. Like that's the most common definition of fasting. And whenever you get a hunger pain, you are reminded to pray. Your mealtime, you pray. Who in here tried doing a fast during the 21 days of prayer and fasting this year in January. It's hard, huh? Some of you are like sh shy to raise your hand up because you barely, you, maybe you didn't make it through, right? It's hard to fast. And you think, I, I took it real seriously this year for the first time in a long time. And, and as you're fasting, you're thinking, oh, maybe by day, day 10, like I'm, I'm gonna be feeling better. No, okay? You're still hungry. You're hungrier than you were on day one. It doesn't get easier. It's just this constant reminder, I need to pray. I need to turn to God. So that's what Daniel's doing because he's taking it that seriously. Like, I better pray. I'm not just going to assume that God has good plans for my future and just let him take it from there. No, I'm going to ask him to help. I'm going to cry out to him because I want him to respond to my prayers. That's what Daniel's thinking. So in verse 4, he writes, I prayed to the Lord, my God, and confessed. This word is going to be real important. And confessed. This is what he says. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And he says this. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. He starts praying. But he, before he ever asks God to do something, and he's got a big ask, right? Let's get out of this place, be restored to Jerusalem, that we can rebuild everything in the land that you promised to our ancestors in the past. I, I want that. He has a big request, but before he ever makes the request, he repents. He acknowledges his own sin. 
And I think this is amazing because Daniel is a pretty amazing dude. He has been faithful for decades to God, in spite not seeing things get better. He went at Nebuchadnezzar, tries to kill him. Then Belshazzar tries to kill him. Like over and over, all these bad things happen. He gets thrown in the lion's den by the Persians. Like he still is faithful. He prays three times a day without fail, even though it gets him thrown into the lion's den. Daniel takes a vegan lifestyle for three years. Might be the hardest thing he did. He is faithful to God when many turn away from him. And yet still he confesses his own sin. So no matter how good you think you are, you need to repent. You need to confess your sin. You have something wrong in you that you have done that you need to confess to God. You need to confess your sin. You know what they say is that a clear conscience is the sign of a bad memory. I'm serious. A clear conscience is the sign of a bad memory. You have done something wrong. You have sinned. You have hurt other people. You've hurt yourself. You might not even be aware of it, but you have sinned, and you need to confess that sin. I read a story in the news uh, not too long ago, and it was about this family outside of Pittsburgh that had an alarm clock stuck in their wall going off every day at the same time for over 13 years. Every night at dinner time, it was like 6.50 or 7.50, depending on it was daylight savings, right? Every night, and they just got used to it. 13 years, they did nothing about it, this alarm clock. The, the guy said in this news story, he's like, well, I was trying to like find where to, to put something in the wall, so I thought if I lower it down, the alarm clock on a string, then I'll know like wh where to nail, and he it dropped it and lost it. Like stuck in his wall for 13 years. Every night for a minute, they heard that. They would have had friends over, people over for dinner. Oh, just ignore it. It's not a big deal. We've learned to live with it. And I'm telling you this because that's what people do with their sin. You're just like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. Like, ah, everybody does that. My, my dad did it. My grandpa did it. So, of course, I'm going to do it. Like, you just get used to this terrible stuff in your life. That story was in a news story that went national and and somebody at an HVAC company saw it and they're like, are you kidding me? So they went in for free and removed that. After almost 14 years, they're like, let's get rid of this thing. Could have done it a long time ago. Took somebody else coming in and being like, you have a problem. It's enough. Okay, you have sin in your life. And you need to confess it. You need to examine your heart. Might be bad motives, but you've been doing something. Maybe it's been sinning against yourself, sinning against God. Quit pretending like you have it all together. We need to confess our sins. In Psalm 66, it says, If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Did you know that? Unconfessed sin can prevent your prayers from being answered. If you want God to respond to your prayer, it starts with you. And going on in the inside. It's not, you know, the, the way you hold your hands. It's not, am I, am I looking up? Am I kneeling? Like, it, it's, it's not about that stuff. It's about what's going on inside of you. And have you confessed those things? Have I searched my heart? Is there any wicked in, ways in it? And how could I confess those things? Even Daniel acknowledged his sin. You better acknowledge yours. 
you better acknowledge yours. But Daniel takes it a step farther. Not only does he confess his own sins, he confesses the sins of his own people. Verse 8, look at this. In verse 8, it says, We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. In the scriptures, it tells us that, that God's, this is an interesting thing, God's people had lived in Israel for about 490 years. And king after king sinned, led God's people astray. They worshiped idols. They allowed adultery to happen. They allowed false worship. All these terrible sins to happen again. And God let them do it for 490 years. And then finally he said, enough's enough. And then for a period of 70 years, put them into consequences for their sin. This is the history of God's people. So that had happened for a long time, for generations back, right? And yet Daniel sees all of that and he says, we have sinned. He was a teenager when this happened. It wasn't like he was a leader or a king or had any influence to stop the sin from happening from God's people. But he still confessed our sin. He said, we have done it. Our kings, our people, we have sinned. And I think that's really important for us. We have sinned. And we need to own it. We can't just say, well, you know, it goes back generations. It does. Confess it. And we do that corporately, together. I think we need to confess the sins of our church. That we have done things to hurt people. I believe we need to confess our sins as Christians. Let me tell you, the Christian church has hurt a lot of people over the generations. A lot of people. We need to confess our sins. We need to confess our sins as a nation. We can't just be like, oh, it was the Republicans. Oh, it's the Democrats. Oh, it's just those right-wing people. Oh, it's the media, the leftists. Like, no, no, no. We need to confess our sins as a people. That's what Daniel did. He teaches us that example. Nehemiah did the same thing. Like, they can be like, oh, we, we could just blame shift the whole time. Put it on our ancestors. Put it on the people that came before us. But that's not the example that's set for us. We need to confess our sins. We have done wrong. And this definitely means we can't blame shift or make ourselves the victims. Look at verse 11 with me. Daniel knew his Bible, and he says, all the stuff they've experienced, he says, therefore the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You know what he's saying? He's referencing another part of the scripture. You guys are getting a whole Old Testament lesson, right? We got Daniel. We got Jeremiah. Now he's going back to Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, this was before they had made it into the land, okay? Before God brought them into the promised land and they were going to live there and they were going to have the prospering and all that good stuff. He's like, before that, let me tell you some rules. So when he gave them things like the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery. He's like, this is how you should live. And in Deuteronomy, he gave it to him a second time. That's what the word Deutero means. Second giving of the law, Deuteronomy. Gives them the law again to remind him. And if you read through Deuteronomy, especially in a chapter like Deuteronomy 28, which is a very, very long chapter, which is why we're not covering it today. But if you read that chapter on your own, there is a series of blessings that God promises for all who follow the law. If you do this, good things will happen. If you do this, good things will happen. If you avoid doing that sin, good things will happen. Blessings. But then at the end of the chapter is a series of curses. If you don't follow the law, these bad things will happen to you. You will have consequences. And there were consequences like, I will remove you from the land. That you will live as slaves in a foreign nation. 
This is hundreds of years before Babylon ever existed. God said what's going to happen in the future. Blessings and curses. And if you choose to disobey, God is saying, there will be consequences for your sin. There are consequences. And God is, is very patient with people. 490 years, he let them live without the full extent of their consequences. But then it happened. Because sin has consequences. I mean, it's the law of thermodynamics. If something happens, there's going to be an equal and opposite reaction, right? Every decision we make has consequences. No matter as hard as we try to avoid them, every action we take, every sin we do has a consequence. It might be a delayed consequence, but it's still going to happen. And I think in the delaying, some of us forget. We're like, well, my dad got away with it for so long, so I'll be okay. My friend seems to be going fine living the way they are, sleeping around. Like, uh, it's probably okay for me. And we see other people getting away with it, but maybe God just hasn't brought the consequences yet. Because there always are consequences. We teach this to our kids. And if you're a parent, you've got to know, you've got to discipline your children. It says in the Proverbs, if you don't discipline your kids, you hate them. Use whatever discipline manner you want, but we have to discipline them. Because actions have consequences. We teach our kids, you have done something wrong, and this is the consequence for it. And here's the truth. If you don't discipline your kids, someone's going to discipline them later. Don't do it now. Someone's going to do it later. Maybe you get expelled from school. You get fired from a job. You get thrown in prison because sin has consequences. Broken relationships. All the actions we take have consequences. And sin is the same way. So it doesn't matter if you're a teenager and you're like, well, my dad did it. My grandparents did it. It's generations in our country. No, it doesn't matter. We confess our sins. We don't blame shift to anyone. Our nation right now, our society is so much the victim mindset. Like, other people did this to me. Oh, it's the way I was raised. Oh, my mom wasn't there. I was in the foster care system. It still doesn't excuse our decisions. We can't blame it on our personality. So many people do this. Oh, I, you know, I'm Irish. It's like, no, okay, you can't drink like that, okay? I'm Italian. Like, that does not excuse it. We, we do this about our personality types. Oh, I'm just an Enneagram 8. No, you're a jerk, we, we have to look at these things. We cannot excuse our sin for any reason. We have to own it and accept that we have sinned and confess it. I say this whenever I do marriage counseling. So if you ever come to me, like, now you know what you're going to get, okay? No matter how bad the stuff is that the other person has done. And I've sat in some bad doozies of conversations. doesn't matter what they do. I still look at the other person and I say, and how have you contributed? It takes two to tango, always. It might be 1% and the other person did 99% of evil. But what's your 1% that you can contribute? Couples argue with me. They're, they're like, no, 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 they're the one who cheated on me. They're the one who did this. They're the one who, who's wasting all our money on booze. Like, no, no, what did you contribute? There's something. Even if it's 1%, you've got to own that 1% and confess it. So if you're a couple right now, think about it. Maybe you've loved the kids so much that you've ignored your spouse. That might be the 1%. But we all have sin in our life, and we must confess those things. And we can't blame it on other people. We have to own it even from the past. From the past. I can't just say, like, oh, well, sure, the Christian church hurts you, but it wasn't my church. It was like the Roman Catholics that did that stuff. It's the Southern Baptists that do it that way. We have to confess our sins. 
in our country. We can't just say, oh, all that bad stuff that happened, like that was, you know, pre-Jim Crow, right? That was pre-Civil War. Those are just the Southerners who did that. I'm a Northerner. Like, don't we try to do this kind of stuff? I would never do that today. Like, no, we confess our sins and the sins that have gone before us. That's what we're called to do. That's what Daniel gives us an example of. We confess our sin. And then, and only then, will we be able to make it past. So I'm telling you guys this. What's your sin? What is it in your life that you need to confess? I think Taylor Swift got it right on this one. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Right? Can I get an amen? It's me. I'm the problem. Quit trying to blame it on other people. I'm the problem. It's me. We need to confess our sins. 1 John 1.8 tells us, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You might be the most righteous person since Daniel. It doesn't matter. You have sin. You need to confess it. You're only deceiving yourself if you think otherwise. Your motives are impure. Your thoughts are sinful. Your actions definitely are. Confess those sins. If you have any trouble with it, just like ask your spouse if you're married. Like, I'm sure they can find some stuff for you. Or ask God. It's amazing how much he'll reveal to you when you ask him to reveal that. Confess your sins. And once you've done that, once you've convinced your own sins, confess the sins of our people, of our nation, then we can allow, we can put that request before God. Verse 18. Daniel says, give ear, our God, and hear, open your eyes. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. And in verse 19, he says, Lord, listen, Lord, forgive, Lord, hear and act for your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. After all that confession, finally, Daniel's crying out with his request. Now he's saying, help Answer my prayer. I want a response to this thing that I'm longing for. So Daniel's the example of this, right? What's the type of prayer that we need to pray if we want a response? God responds to repentance. To repentance. And I just love how Daniel cries out here. Because even after that, he's humbled himself. He's repented. He's out sackcloth, ashes, fasting. If, after all that, he doesn't say, I am such a good repentant follower, so you should answer my prayers. What does he say? He says, in your mercy, not because I'm good, but because you're good. Mercy is God giving us something that we don't deserve. It's completely undeserved. That's why none of us can be like, well, I've been going to church faithfully for years now. Every week, perfect attendance. And when I go, I tithe. Well, maybe not fully tithe, but I tip every week. I've been faithful with my giving, and I'm serving every other week. God, why haven't you answered my prayer? We have no grounds to say that. God owes us nothing. But in his mercy, he wants to give us everything. So even after all that repentance, he's calling on God's favor on his mercy to help me. Help us. We don't deserve it. Still, help us. See, God responds to repentance. He responds to repentance. So Daniel gives us that great example of how, how we should repent but then what's amazing about the second half of the chapter, starting in verse 20, 
is that we get to have this sneak peek behind the scenes now about how God responds to this prayer of repentance. I don't know if this happens so clearly anywhere else in the entire Bible, but, but here we get to see behind the scenes, and I want you to, to see this. In verse um, 21, it says, Daniel writes, while I was still in prayer, I'm in the midst of praying, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the vision earlier, came to me in swift flight. Gabriel, you might remember from last week, was one of the chief angels. And here he is, flying quickly, coming as fast as he can, swiftly, to answer this prayer. And in verse 22, it says, He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. And verse 23, As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. See that? It's like, you prayed, and boom, I'm going. God put the word out, and I'm bringing it to you. Angels are messengers for God, and they come to minister to us. God is sending immediately an angel coming, and he's flying as fast as he can. He's coming, because God has an answer to this prayer immediately. See, God responds swiftly to our prayers. He does. He responds swiftly. There are some prayers that you will pray that will be answered like that. You want an example? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When you confess your sins, you're forgiven. You don't have to wait around for it. Immediate, instantaneous. There are other prayers that God sends an angel immediately. You might not ever see it. I think this is in the Bible just so we can see a little glimpse. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 13 that sometimes angels come to us incognito. You're not even aware of it. You might have had an angel encounter this morning and had no idea. God's supernatural beings are out there helping us all the time, and we don't know. They're invisible to the human eye. It might also be something that is answered quickly. I've seen this. I've seen prayers over people, and the person is healed like that. That all of a sudden, their depression is gone. I've, I've seen people said, I, I'm broke, I have no money, God, I need some help. And boom, that day, there was money in their bank account. God does answer prayers swiftly. He answers them instantaneously. But what I love about this passage is that here it is both swiftly and slowly. And I think that's how it is all the time. I think all the time God hears your prayer immediately and maybe even starts something into action, but we might not see the response for a while. Even in the very next chapter, God's going to send another angel to Daniel, and that Daniel is stopped for 21 days. I have to come back next week to find out what happens there. Even angels can encounter opposition. So there are some things God immediately sends the word out, immediately sends the help, but it takes a while for the circumstances to come around. It's like first dominoes getting pushed right when the prayer is asked. But then there's another domino and another one. And sometimes that happens with circumstances, with situations. It seems like it's taking forever. When is this going to be answered? And sometimes God's response is slow. Definitely slower than we want. But it works. And we're going to see this in just a second. You know, I, I think the amazing thing about God, whether he is acting swiftly or slowly, is that he hears you. <laughs> He responds to repentance. Has anybody ever tried to call Facebook or any of the big tech companies? Seriously, have you ever done this? There, I just read a news story about this. There's no phone number for like any of them. Like they were trying to, YouTube was the only one that even had a phone number, right? You can't find it anywhere. I tried to call Facebook a few years ago because I needed some help. 
You should try it. I, I dare you to, okay? There's no phone number. There's no one to help you. I'm not exaggerating at all. And I, I remember this because in 2020, our church had a different name at the time. Do you remember this? It was called Stapleton Church. And it turns out Stapleton was in the KKK. Right? But we were named after the neighborhood, after the, named after the airport, and we're like, oh, shoot. The neighborhood changes their name. we got to change our name, too. We voted as a church. We're going to change our name to Arise, which I love. It's an awesome name, isn't it? And we voted. We changed the name. We changed the name legally. And then we tried to change the name on Facebook, and we couldn't. I'm not kidding. And I, we tried everything. We tried every channel. We're sending messages it, through every means we possibly can. We were reading uh, on forums. How do we possibly do it? I started it, like sending messages like daily, and they would be like, "You guys are racist. Um, there's going to be violence against our church because you can't won't let us change our name." Like I was just like hoping maybe it would like get caught in the algorithm and then get like bumped up the queue or something. No response at all. Zero. Like the biggest companies in our world can't respond and answer the phone. There's no phone number. Finally, I remembered that I had a friend from high school who works for Facebook. I sent her a private message, and within a few hours, our name was changed. I'm not kidding. Because <laughs> it doesn't matter what you know, it matters who you know. It matters who you know, and we know the God of the universe who hears every single prayer and wants to help us and wants to respond to the repentant. So we need to go to him sometimes swiftly, boom, answer. Sometimes he'll set it in motion, but I still think even then it's like very swift, and then it's like it's a while before we see the answer, and because that's actually what's going to happen next. Gabriel, this angel, is talking to him, and in verse 24, he says this. He says, 70 sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Now, it's not totally clear what's going on here. In fact, it's very fuzzy. But it sounds a lot like what happened with Jesus. An end to sin, an atonement for all sin, and all things to come and to bring in everlasting righteousness. Well, if Daniel was praying this in 550 BC, do you know when Jesus came? Zero B AD, right? Somewhere around there. We're not exactly sure when he was born. 33 AD when he died? It's interesting. This time period, the, the angel's like 77s. We're not sure if that's weeks or years. Most people think it refers to years. But then it's like, okay, 77. So is that 77-year period? That's 490 years? So a lot of people think. And a lot of people try to do this math exactly, and, and the math doesn't work as well as you hope, hope it do. But it's interesting, because that was almost the same time frame, 550 B.C. to 33 A.D. Some people mark it from when um, the letter went out from a later Persian emperor that they could go back and rebuild the temple. And it's almost exactly 490 years. Now, I don't know if we're actually supposed to do the math, but it's supposed to, what, what God is telling Daniel here is that it's going to be generations 70 years might be the span of a generation. So we're talking seven generations of people living into old age before everything will be fixed. That's a very slow answer to prayer. Daniel in his 80s won't see it. We don't know if he ever got to go back to Jerusalem. The Jews started going back within a few years of this. And then it was a few decades before that, before the temple ever got rebuilt. Daniel may have died without ever seeing the promised land again. It wasn't in his lifetime. But little did he know that God wasn't like, I'm not just going to reset up the temple. 
I'm going to bring an end to sacrifice forever by the final atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. He didn't know that, but that's so much better than anything Daniel could have imagined. So when God is slow like he is, he has something even better for us. It takes a while, but he answers, and his answers are way better than what we could have imagined. Let's keep reading now to one of the most complicated passages in the entire Bible. You ready? I want you guys to focus. This is seriously one of the most confusing passages in the entire Bible. So I want you to focus. I'm going to read this whole last uh, few verses. Verse 25. The angel continues. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue into the end, and declarations have been decreed. You guys still paying attention? Verse 27, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. You guys got all the sevens now? In the middle of that seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering and at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. <sighs> okay, you guys have now interpreted all that. You can go home and be happy, right? Okay, I studied real hard on this passage, guys. And I can tell you that for every commentary you read, there will be a different interpretation. You could read 400 Bible scholars with multiple PhDs reading this, and there will be 400 different interpretations of what this means. Seriously, one of the most confusing passages in the entire Bible. And I think it's interesting. It's like God is acting swiftly. Then he promises I'm going to act slowly, something even better. And now he says, and my ways are higher than your ways. You're not going to understand it. You're not going to figure this all out. You guys can try to do the math. People have. There's charts you can find online. And, and, and seriously, there's, there's some people who look at this and they're like, oh, all of this was fulfilled before Jesus came in 167 to 164 BC, like we talked about last week with Antiochus Epiphanes coming into the temple, setting up a statue of Zeus, boom, that was it. It's all been fulfilled already. Some people interpret this all happening with Jesus, that Jesus came, died on the cross, he's the one man who dies, and then in 70 AD, within one generation, the temple is destroyed by the Romans, no more sacrifices for all time, the temple still hasn't been rebuilt. Maybe that's the fulfillment of the prophecy. Some people think, no, actually, this hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen in the future when Jesus comes again. Or some combination therein. My guess is it's some kind of a combo. That, that it does refer to Jesus. I don't see how it, this can't refer to Jesus with the atonement and the one who dies. Like, it, it seems pretty obvious that it's Jesus. It seems that that might throw in some of that stuff that happened in 70 AD when the temple got destroyed by the Romans. I also wonder if some of this stuff's going to happen again at the end. That's my best guess but I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. People way smarter than me don't know. So why is that passage in the scripture? Well, I think for Daniel and for us, we need to understand that God does respond to repentance, but his ways are always higher than our ways. We might not understand this. Someday we'll look back and we're like, oh, cool, God. <laughs> That's cool how you did those sevens. I didn't see it then, but now I get it. We might look back someday, but right now, we just need to know his ways are higher than our ways. That his ways are better than our ways. 
that he has a good plan to respond to every single one of our prayers. So whatever we ask, we know that his answer is better than even what we could have asked for. I know this because our God is a good father. And a good dad knows how to get good gifts to his kids. I can tell you, Canaan right now, who's three, obsesses about submarines right now. He got way into them really quick. He loves submarines. So Melissa bought him this submarine. He was so excited to get it in the mail. He, he opened it up, and, and then within one day, that submarine broke. Have you ever gotten a toy like that? You know what I'm talking about? He was devastated because his submarine broke within one day playing with it. And he was asking for another submarine. He's like, when am I going to get my, my new submarine? Can I get a new one? Can I get a new one? Can I get this? And, and he wanted the same submarine again. But we're like, we're not going to get him the same submarine again. We don't want another one that's going to break in one day. So we like, just wait a little bit. We're going to look and, and find a submarine that's a little bit stronger, more durable. And you're going to have to wait because we're going to have to order it. Even Amazon can't get it to us tomorrow. And we did. And just yesterday, we got him a new submarine that this thing is built like a tank, okay? He's going to have it 20 years from now. He's going to bring it to college with him in his, in his dorm, okay? This, this is indestructible because we don't want him to have another submarine Arise. that's going to break. There's like a church thing. focused on one thing. And this is like a minor people. thing. But I hope that as good parents, like as a good father, that I can get a better gift than what he's asking for. I just want another submarine. I want the same one again. Like, no, no, no. Let's get a better one. Let me tell you, God has a better submarine for you. He has something better for you than you could ask for. It might not make sense right now. Why can't I get that thing? But he has something even better planned for you. He's the good father. And Daniel would have had no clue that God would love him and God's people so much that he would send his own son to come and walk among them. Not just another prophet, but the prophet who would live the perfect sinless life that none of us could ever do. And still that son of God, Jesus himself, would die and suffer the consequences for sin that we committed. Talking about owning our sin. Jesus did that. He who had no sin became sin in our place so that by him we might become the righteousness of God. And Jesus suffered on the cross. He died in our place as the final atoning sacrifice once for all for our sin. So that when we confess our sins and we receive his gift of his death on the cross, we are forgiven once and for all. Your repentance brings the greatest response you could have ever imagined. God responds to repentance and he offers something so much better than you could have ever imagined. That's what he did for Daniel. That's what he did through Jesus Christ and what he's going to do today for you. So today is a day that we need to repent. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We have sinned as a church, as Christians, as a nation. And we need to confess our sins. And God will turn hear from heaven and heal our land. So I want us all to stand right now. We're going to have a little bit different response than we normally do. Because I want us to remember how deep God's love is for us. His mercy that he sees us in our sinful ways and wants to love us. Wants to forgive us. We watched uh, the Chronicles of Narnia The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe last night for the first time with our kids. And Melissa was explaining to McKinley who the lion was that the lion, Aslan, represents Jesus. And Edmund, 
who was the traitor who lied and sinned and turned on his own family and on Aslan, represents us, the sinners. And though Edmund deserves to die, if you've seen the movie or read the books, Aslan, Jesus, goes in his place, offering his life as a sacrifice to atone for his sins so that Edmund, the sinner, can be forgiven and set free. And that's what Jesus did for you on the cross. And that's why we need to repent and humbly cry out for his mercy because he loves us. And in his mercy and in his love, which is so wide and vast, he will forgive you for anything you've done, past, present, or future. He will heal you and he will heal our land. So cry out in confession right now. And as we sing, let's remember how deep the Father's love is for us. So I want you to take a moment right now, right where you are, online and in person, and it's time to confess our sins, our individual sins. Search your heart. Confess them to God right now. I confess that I'm a sinner. I'm not just the lead pastor of this church, but the lead sinner. And I hope I can be the lead repentant as well. Lord Jesus, I have been way too quick to anger. I confess that. Forgive me. In pride, I have thought of myself way too highly and put myself in your place far too many times. Forgive me. Forgive me for those I've hurt. Lord Jesus, forgive us. We are sinners. Now let's take a moment and confess our sins for the sins of our church and for the sins of Christians in general.
Jesus, we confess that we as Christians have sinned. Our church has hurt people. We have made decisions that have caused people unnecessary pain. And Lord Jesus, as Christians, we've hurt way too many people. Lord Jesus, we have hurt people of color. We've hurt women and children. We confess that. Lord Jesus, we confess how we've hurt so many that are minorities. Lord Jesus, forgive us. Now let's take a moment and confess the sins of our nation. forgive our nation. It wasn't the fault of Republicans or Democrats. On the left or the right, Lord, we have all sinned. Our, our, our nation has suffered so many. We confess our sin of racism, of nationalism, how we've hurt minorities and women in our country, that we've hurt other nations. Lord Jesus, we confess that we have not treated the unborn like we should. And Lord Jesus, we confess that we have sinned against the immigrants and the refugees. And Lord Jesus, we ask right now, we confess, we turn to you, our wicked ways. It's not our presidents, it's not our leaders, it's every single one of us. And we confess that we are a sinful nation. Forgive us, turn, hear our voice, and come and heal our land. Lord Jesus, we need you. Would your Holy Spirit pour out on this church and on our city. Lord, we're seeing you move in places like Kentucky. We want you to move here. We wanna feel your movement in the city of Denver, in the state of Colorado, that we might see true repentance, true turning back to you, Lord Jesus, that you would come and heal our nation, heal our land, Lord Jesus, heal our land. We cry out to you. Now, I want to offer an opportunity because I know there are some people in here who are not followers of Jesus. And if you want the grace and mercy and forgiveness of our God, you must make a decision to follow Jesus and make him your Lord and Savior. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond to this prayer after me. If you're already a follower of Jesus, say this prayer out loud to give courage to somebody who needs to pray it for the first time. So please repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior, save me, forgive me. In faith I declare, Jesus is Lord. Give me the gift of eternal life. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you for the rest of my life. Now, we want to celebrate with you, so everybody's going to close their eyes right now, but if you made that decision today for the first time, we want to see your hand in the air on the count of three to celebrate with you. One, two, three. Put that hand high up in the air. We would love to celebrate with you if you made that decision. If you're online, go to risedenver.com follow. Lord Jesus, we turn to you and we confess we need you. We will not deceive ourselves. We need the truth. Set us free from our sin. In Jesus' name. All right, let's keep singing.
confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness you are forgiven right now instantaneously in this moment for all your sins past present and future because of Jesus and we are so grateful that on the cross his last words were it is finished it's done it's accomplished go and sin no more let's boast in his cross I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Why should I gain from have paid my ransom, but this I know with all my heart, His wounds have paid my 